Hello, I'm Scott Guthrie and welcome to episode 35 of the Influencer Marketing Lab. This week, we're looking closer at sustainability and how influencer marketers can avoid the charge of greenwashing. More people than ever are concerned about the environmental impact of the services and products that they buy. Businesses want to be honest with the consumers about their green credentials, but it may not always be clear how to do this. In fact, 40% of green claims made online could be misleading. That is why the Competition and Markets Authority has developed the Green Claims Code. This week, I'm in conversation with Cecilia Parker-Arana, Director of Consumer Protection at the UK's Competition and Markets Authority. In this episode, we discuss the aims of the Green Claims Code, what points it covers, how it affects brands, influencer marketers and creators, the vertical sectors the CMA may prioritise, and next year's review process. As ever, check out the Influencer Marketing Lab website for full show notes and related useful links. The Influencer Marketing Lab has been made possible through exclusive sponsorship by Tagger. Tagger is the number one data-driven influencer marketing platform and social listening tool. It's an all-in-one SaaS platform that helps users succeed in every step of the influencer marketing workflow. With it, you can discover the perfect influencers, research your target market, activate campaigns, and measure influencer success all in one intuitive platform. If you want to see how Tagger can work with you, go to taggermedia.com slash request hyphen demo. According to a Porta Novelli and Cone study, nearly three quarters of Gen Z factors in a firm's values, behaviors and beliefs as part of an internal checklist they go through before they decide which companies they want to buy from and be associated with. Inclusivity, social justice and sustainability are issues driving Gen Z's conscience. To attract new customers, brands must flex their sustainability credentials. And recently, a direct-to-consumer sneaker brand filed for a public listing in the United States. The firm knows its audience well and what they care about. The letters ESG appeared 91 times in the IPO prospectus. The word sustainable featured even more prominently at 107 times. However, not all brand claims about sustainability ring true. The Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, a UK government regulatory body, is cracking down on environmental and sustainability claims that cannot be substantiated. So I'm delighted to be joined by special guest Cecilia Parker-Arana. Cecilia has been a Director of Consumer Protection at the UK's CMA since 2014. She has led a range of enforcement cases, including investigations into online hotel bookings and breaches of consumer protection law during the COVID pandemic. Cecilia is the Project Director for the CMA's investigation into misleading environmental claims and is contributing to the CMA's advice to government on the relationship between the consumer protection law framework and environmental sustainability. Cecilia presents the CMA in the International Consumer Protection and Enforcement Network, a global network of 60 consumer protection bodies 
where she currently co-leads work on greenwashing. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Cecilia. Hi, Scott. Thank you for having me. Today, we're talking about the launch of the CMA's Green Claims Code. Uh, It's to help businesses understand how to communicate their green credentials. But what's the main aim for the code? So this year, Scott, the CMA has a commitment to supporting the transition to a low-carbon economy, and that means using our powers in in a way that will help shift uh, consumption patterns and, and help change markets so that they are more sustainable. And we're concerned that people are being misled by environmental claims, and that makes it really hard for them to to choose more sustainable options. And so with the Green Claims Code, what we're hoping is that we will make sure consumers have the right information to make those choices, that businesses feel confident in how they are complying with the law in this area, and that we're also, we'll also be creating a level playing field for businesses that are genuinely trying to do the right thing for the environment. Uh, why did the CMA feel there was a need for the Greens Claims Code. Did it undertake any research ahead of the drafting? So there were a couple of things, and we kicked off um, our work on misleading environmental claims about a year ago, um, and we started with um, a a call for information where we asked businesses, consumers, um, academics, other stakeholders like NGOs what their views were. And there was a general feeling that um, greenwashing was a big problem and that more guidance was needed um, in this space to, to really make a difference. The other thing we did at the same time was was that we worked with our counterparts in the international consumer protection community. And, and between us, we did what we call a web sweep. So effectively, that meant um, looking at websites, identifying websites that were making green claims and then assessing the information that was on there. And when we did that web sweep, we concluded that about 40% of, of the green claims that we saw could be misleading. Now, that doesn't mean that... 40%? 40%, wow. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean that 40% are misleading, but very often what we were seeing was very vague wording um, or we were seeing claims being made with no evidence to, to back them up or at least no evidence that was being made clear to the to the consumer. So so we were suspicious of, of those claims um, and whether they were really genuine. So forty percent the potential red flags. That's quite a that's quite an outcome. Um, the co- yeah. the codes are new, but does that mean it's new consumer protection laws that have been passed? No. So I mean, these rules on consumer protection have been around since two thousand and eight, um, as have similar rules designed to protect businesses from misleading marketing. Um, but we've we've seen such a big increase in consumer demand for green products um, and a corresponding increase in, in products being marketed as good for the environment. And so what we're aiming to do with the Green Claims Code is to explain how the existing law applies to making environmental claims. And we hope that, that the code will encourage businesses to think carefully when they're marketing products as environmentally friendly and, and, and that that will discourage greenwashing. Um, let's dig in a little bit now into the codes and how many there are and what do they cover? Um, so the Green Claims Code is six principles that we recommend businesses or we, we tell businesses to comply with in order to um, minimise the risk of breaking consumer protection law. Um, the first one is about being truthful and accurate. And so for people to make good decisions about what they buy, green claims need to be honest and they need to be accurate. And of course, that means that anything you say needs to be truthful um, but you also have to avoid creating an inaccurate impression. So, for example, a business shouldn't be saying that a garment is made with recycled fibres if actually it only contains 20% recycled fibres. And that labelling could create a misleading impression for consumers. Um, the next thing is is really to be clear and unambiguous. 
Um, so claims need to be transparent and straightforward so your customers can easily understand them and you shouldn't be presenting things in a way that will confuse customers. Now, among other things, that means using language which consumers can easily understand. Um, but that said, um, for people that are designing advertising or social media campaigns, you also need to be careful not to oversimplify the message so that that in itself becomes misleading. Otherwise, you risk falling foul of, of, uh, of the first principle or indeed the third principle, which is that you must not omit or hide important relevant information. And so we know that what claims say can influence the decisions that customers make or, um, when, they're, when they're shopping. And if businesses leave out that important information, it can influence that decision. It will happen or it can happen if marketing is focusing on saying one thing or not another, or if it says nothing at all about particular aspects of a product. So if you take, for example, um, claims around net zero and carbon neutrality, th those claims are becoming increasingly common. The businesses need to be clear about what they're doing and how they're doing it in order to live up to those claims. They need to give accurate information about um, whether um, and to what degree they're they're actively offsetting, um, sorry, actively reducing emissions, and then um, what offsetting they're doing. And if they are offsetting emissions, they also need to provide information about um, any scheme that they're using. Um, and particularly, uh, it's helpful for consum consumers to know if that's an audited or an accredited. Uh, offsetting scheme. Um, the next principle is around comparative environmental claims, and that's quite common to see as well these days. You, um, the, the comparisons can be to other products. So uh, a business saying our product has a lower carbon footprint than our competitors, um, or it can be to earlier version of the same product. So we quite often see these days now with reduced packaging. Um, but it's really important that consumers aren't misled by the way those claims are made. So, for example, a business might um, make a claim that a clothing range is greener, but if it doesn't say what it's greener than or why it's greener, it's probably not going to be acceptable from a consumer law perspective. We also ask businesses to consider the whole life cycle of the product. And it's worth noting in the UK at the moment, there's no obligation to provide full life cycle information. Um, but life cycle still matters because of the context in which um, the product is operating. So um, you need to think about whether the bit of the life cycle you're focusing on is going to create a misleading impression in comparison to the, to the rest of the life cycle. So probably easiest if I give an example, if you claim that you're reducing the plastic content of your packaging, um, you're only focusing on, on one part of the life cycle. Um, if it turns out that you have switched to something that's got a higher carbon footprint to manufacture, or is harder to recycle, you could actually be misleading consumers by telling them that you've reduced the plastic in your packaging. And then the last principle is, I think, probably the most important, and that's um, you have to have the evidence to back up your claims. Um, claims which aren't evidence-backed are much more likely to break consumer law. And I think the key thing for businesses is to start with the evidence. You know, once you know what impact you are making on the environment or what impact you are not making on the environment, it's much easier to decide what green claims you can legitimately make. That's fascinating. Thank you. I was trying not to uh, interrupt you because it was fascinating you running through them. So in essence, there are six, six principles. Be truthful and accurate. Be clear and unambiguous. Don't try and mislead by omission. If you're comparing it, make sure those comparisons are meaningful. Consider the full life cycle of the product 
and prove it. Start with the evidence. Would that be a fair way of summing up? Yep. That's right. And if you follow those principles, um, you're, you're much less likely to end up in trouble with us or our enforcement partners. And of course, we're talking where well, you're talking about businesses. But when we're talking about business that spreads out to the agents, the, the agencies, the PR and the, the marketing agencies, and the talent that they are working with as part of media and advertising sponsored content, I presume. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Businesses across the value chain might be liable for, for these misleading green claims. So... We've got six principles, but are there any particular verticals or sectors that the CMA intends to prioritise? So we're in the process of deciding what sectors to prioritise at the moment. Um, I think it's likely that we will target sectors where we see a lot of problems like um, fashion, beauty and personal care, food and drink. But it's really important to note that the guidance applies to every sector and, and we're just at the beginning of this process. So businesses in every sector are at risk of intervention from the CMA if they're greenwashing. And just because we don't target the sector that you're in in our upcoming compliance review does not mean we will not be a, we will not be looking at you further <laughs> down the line. Uh, you mentioned fashion and style, beauty and food and drink. You're saying that they're Forgive me, were you saying that they're the most, the biggest offenders uh, at the moment or that's the most content I at the don't, moment? I don't think I can, I can say with any confidence that they're the biggest offenders at the moment, but they are sectors that okay. we know matter a lot to consumers. People spend a lot of money on, yep. on clothes, on personal care and on food and drink. Um, and so it's, um, they're sectors where uh, people are highly likely to to be looking at things from an environmental perspective and making choices based on the packaging and, uh, and advertising that they're seeing. Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting point, Cecilia, because if you look at the proportion of brand-sponsored posts on Instagram, um, number one is fashion and style, 34%. Number two is beauty and cosmetics, that's 21%. Number three is food and drink uh, at 16%. So combined, you've got 71% of sponsored content fall within those three verticals. Those are the verticals that matter a lot to consumers at the moment. This podcast has been made possible through exclusive sponsorship by Tagger. I particularly like Tagger's discovery tool because it lets you apply hundreds of different filters to their huge database so you can find exactly the influencers you want that perfectly match your campaign. I've seen agencies and brands discover high-value influencers in less than a quarter of an hour. Tagger's affinity tool takes discovery a step further by showing you an influencer's brand affinity. What does this mean? It means you're able to partner with influencers who are most likely to enjoy your brand or product. Tagger focuses on their customer success. When you sign up to the platform, you're given a dedicated customer success manager. They guide you through everything, from onboarding to training, to just checking in and making sure you're finding success with the platform. When you're running an influencer campaign, sometimes it can be difficult to measure your success. But it's easy to report your campaign data with Tagger. Their modular report builder lets you pull accurate, real-time data directly from social media platforms. You can also choose which metrics matter most to you and your clients, meaning you can customise the data that you show in your report. Something that can be overlooked when you're choosing an influencer marketing platform is the quality of the data. Tagger has direct API access to all major social media platforms. This gives Tagger users 100% accurate, real-time data that's gathered responsibly. You can't plan a good strategy if you're not looking at good quality data. If you're looking to scale your influencer marketing efforts, 
Tagger is a truly global solution. Its availability in over 10 languages and the ability to make multi-currency payments directly on platform gives brands a huge advantage when running multinational, multilingual influencer campaigns. If you want to see how Tagger can work for you, go to taggermedia.com slash request hyphen demo. Um, I mentioned at the top of our conversation that purpose-led influencer marketing campaigns are on the rise, particularly around sustainability and green issues. But in terms of liability, who is liable under consumer law if an influencer campaign run on behalf of a brand fails to meet the requirements of the code? You mentioned the value chain, but just in terms of liable, who potentially along that value chain is liable under consumer law? So, I mean, really, businesses at any level of the of the supply chain or the value chain who are making misleading claims can end up being liable, um, you know, whether they're making those claims directly to consumers or not. So it could include, for example, um, a brand which is paying for an influencer to market their product, um, the influencer themselves, and um, possibly the platform that is running the campaign. So really, it, um, it could be anyone um, in that process. In any investigation, the CMA would look at the role that everybody involved had actually played. Um, and of course, we would um, think carefully about where the most effective place to target our, our action was. So, you know, if it's the brand that has generated the, the claims and the content, then they're in the best position to, to put things right. So we would, we would take a look at that. Um, and it's also worth thinking as well that outside of the CMA's investigation, Agencies might well have um, contractual liability to businesses or to influencers. Um, and of course, there are reputational risks as well if you get this wrong um, that, that uh, the businesses would need to think about. So brand, influencer, platform, and by inference, I'm guessing it's the agency, the, the, the influencer marketing agency or the media agency that's involved within that chain as well. Yeah, it could could include that as well. And, and I say the... the um, the influencers themselves, the individual influencers, um, could also find themselves liable. And what sanctions does the CMA have at its disposal to seek to present or to, to rectify wrongdoers? So at the moment, the consumer protection framework um, gives us uh, power to investigate businesses. Um, that means that we can gather information from them and we reach our own views on, on whether or not they are, are breaching consumer law. Um, usually. Uh, businesses will be given an opportunity to put things right on a, a voluntary basis by giving us um, a written commitment, which will be publicised and which we'll, we'll monitor compliance with. Um, if businesses don't make changes at that stage, we can then take them to court and the court will pose a, a court order if it agrees with us that there has been a breach of consumer protection law. Um, any, so there could be a, a financial penalty. So any businesses that don't comply with that court order um, can given a financial penalty. The court um, can also order and, and we can ask businesses for um, other forms of sanction. So we could ask them, for example, to publicise what has happened, what has gone wrong and write out and tell our customers about it, for example. In some cases, we can seek redress for consumers, um, although that's most likely to happen in, a, in cases where you have a obvious direct financial loss to consumers. We can also um, ask businesses to um, implement new um, systems 
So, for example, if your business uh, doesn't already have a robust system for ensuring that the messages you're creating or the content you're creating is complying with consumer law, we might ask you to look at that to bring in additional measures to make sure that you're you're not um, breaking consumer law and that your staff know what to do. So it's a lot more than just a slap on the wrist. It can be a lot more uh, onerous, both financially and reputationally, and uh, and actually operationally, as you're saying, to rejig the way that you're conducting business. Yeah, absolutely. So the CMA is currently building awareness around these codes, but what's next? How are you going to ramp up your work on this next year? So we're kicking off a review in the new year. Um, as I said, we haven't um, decided which sectors yet, um, but we'll we'll start by looking at looking at some key sectors and looking at businesses in that and reviewing what they're doing to really understand um, to what extent uh, greenwashing is an issue, um, and then to to identify businesses who might um, need some enforcement action in order to to get them into compliance. So. Um, if we do find businesses during the course of that that review, we'll then kick off enforcement action, go through the process of of investigating them, um, uh, finding out what evidence they have to back up their claims, and and asking them to put things right if they're if they're going wrong. Is the CMA working with any other agencies or regulators on this endeavour? Yeah, so we work really closely with our with our enforcement partners. We are in regular conversations with uh, other consumer protection enforcement bodies like trading standards and also sector regulators. So people like Ofgem and the Financial Conduct Authority, Mm -hmm. who can also enforce rules under consumer protection um, legislation. We also work very closely with the Advertising Standards Authority and the ASA has uh, has recently announced that they are going to be focusing on the area of uh, of greenwashing and environmental um, claims in advertising over the coming year, um, and so we're we're talking to them regularly, making sure we're joined up, um, and uh, hopefully to to help um, consumers make sure that uh, there's a consistent approach taken, but also to to make sure businesses are are getting consistent messages from from different regulators. So how can we do our bit and learn more as influencer marketers? Where can listeners turn to for more information about the Green Claims Code? So you can go to our campaign page, which is uh, greenclaims.campaign.gov.uk. And from there, you'll find out more about our principles. There's a a quiz that you can try um, and there's access to the the full guidance. We also have some tips for consumers on that page as well to to help consumers navigate uh, green marketing. And uh, we have a lot more information on our, our website that uh, that people can take a look at. Oh, I like a good quiz, so I'll be sure to check that out. Um, I'll also make sure that I include all of those links and links uh, to socials as well that you've included as part of the show notes that accompany this uh, podcast episode. Just Google the Influencer Marketing Lab for further details. Cecilia Parker Arana, Director of Consumer Protection at the CMA. Thank you so much for your time and for your insights today. Thanks for having me, Scott. Thank you for listening to the Influencer Marketing Lab with me, Scott Guthrie. The podcast is sponsored by Tagger. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. For more information, visit InfluencerMarketingLab.com. And if you want to see how Tagger can work for you, go to taggermedia.com slash request hyphen demo.